something, the first door that you're gonna try to open will be closed. Always. But it also means that it's not because the door is closed that you can't open it. Or you cannot choose another door. And if it's not the door, it's a window. And if it's not the window, it's the the basement. If it's not the basement, it's the chimney. Welcome to or welcome back to Fashion Carry Stories. My name is Lucas Silva Edward. I am a career strategist and executive coach with more than 10 years of experience in the fashion and luxury industry here in Paris, France. My role is to help you design a successful life and career in one of the most glamorous industries on the planet, but also one of the most competitive. For that reason, I have interviewed fashion professionals at different stages of the career in order to decode the best practices, tactics, and strategies. My hope for you is that you will find in this conversation some inspiration and insights that will help you build your professional journey in the world of fashion and luxury. Today, I have the pleasure to receive my good friend and schoolmate, Abib Guabintani. This episode is very special to me for several reasons. First, because you are in for a treat for this episode. Abib is a skilled storyteller and a craftsman of the cliffhanger. By the end of this episode, you will understand how he has developed that talent. So, stay with us. Second, Abib is probably the most resilient, relentless and hardworking person I know. I'm not afraid to say that I often sing WWHD. What would Abib do? Third, like me, Abib is not an insider. He come from immigrant parents, he had to study hard to get into fashion school, and we both started our career in retail. The main difference comes from our dreams and goals. But what were Abib's dreams? At 25, he set his mind and decided that he will become the Dior Men's Store Director on the 5th Avenue in New York City by 30 years old. Nothing less than that. I don't want to spoil anything, but I can tell you one thing. It was not a straight line and nothing was given to Abib. And with no further ado, please enjoy the American dream of Abib Guamintani. Psst. If by the end of this episode you enjoyed this conversation and you want to support the podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review. This is the most efficient way to help us grow and entice people to listen to the show. So don't be shy. Hit those five stars and show us your love in the comment section. Hi, Abib. How are you? Hey, Lucas. So I'm so happy to have you. It's been a, a long time I wanted to have this conversation uh, with you. Uh, not only because I, I've known you for a long time, uh, we and for those who listen to you, we have known Habib since we are in the in the same school. Um, but also because when I think about you and your story, the two key words that uh, kind of come to, uh, come to mind are driven and work ethic. And I will we will go on on, on that uh, more specifically. Uh, but just to have a, a little bit of context of, of who you are, so you have a, you are French born, but you've done a lot of, uh, of your career uh, in the luxury sector, especially at your men. And uh, at the height, let's say, of your your career, you were like the 
your main uh, director at, in New York, if I'm not uh, mistaken. So I wanted to kind of go back to all of uh, that, that, that journey and, and especially understand um, when fashion enter in your life and why you decided to start working in the fashion industry in the first place. Wow. Thanks for the introduction. That's, uh, I, I like the two keywords that you actually um, gave because it's, it's, it's true. And I think that uh, defines most, most likely who I am uh, driven. It's definitely one of the keywords. And, and work ethic, uh, I would say um, just integrity in general, not only for work, but uh, even in my relationships, friendships, love relationships, and, uh, and, and even anyone that I meet that I don't know, I tried always to, start, to stay very true to myself and, and try to, to bring as much respect as I can. So it's, thanks for, for kind of picking up these two keywords and I, I'm gonna keep them. Uh, in terms of uh, career, I remember I always wanted to go to the US and uh, it is something that I, um, when I was already at the, at, in college at the university in Paris and I was like, okay, how am I gonna do that? What do I like to, uh, to be able to, uh, to move? And, and, and I remember I was saying to myself when I was, a teenager, like at 15 years old, I'm going to move to the US and I'm going to change my life. And when I'm going to make it, I'm going to come back to France and just make sure that my family make it. But then I understood that 15 was a little too, uh, too early and too young, but, uh, but I had always that in mind. And then I started kind of understanding what I liked in, a, in my, just in my day to day. Uh, and I was always um, kind of seduced by the world of fashion. I think it comes from my mother. My mother is a hairstylist and she actually had the chance when she was a student in Paris to kind of help all the uh, fashion models for uh, Adeline Alaya back then. So she, she kind of, uh, he's a Tunisian guy, my mother is Tunisian, Tunisian for her was, was kind of an honor to be part of that project and being able to help all the staff kind of prep the, the models red carpet with the catalog for Azinalaya. And I think it comes from there uh, subconsciously. And I remember when I was applying to uh, the, the school, the French Fashion Institute, it is a story that I actually shared. And that was kind of, that moved a little bit everyone. And uh, yeah, I always wanted to be part of uh, an industry that makes me dream. I'm a daydreamer. It is my personality, and I think it comes from it. So having that sense of beauty, no matter which craft it is, is something that inspires me. So I ended up uh, discovering that school, and the story of how that school actually uh, has been created through a love story of a manager and a fashion designer, I just felt it, that was it. That was the school that I wanted to be part of, and I think that was the best decision in my life. I was able to actually, also I was accepted in a finance uh, master degree, which was one of the most prestigious ones back then at my uh, university, but I didn't want to accept that. I rather wanted, I was like, okay, you know, you can, you can get there and just go in finance, but you can also just follow your passion and, and leave it. And if it's not working for you, then you can always go back to a, a classic uh, academic, or graduate in finance and just get back to that. You can always go back 
to something that is really practical. And that's that's how I made it. I went to a, I went to a, that school, and I think that school really changed my life. Uh, why? Uh, just because I went there, I didn't know what I really wanted to do. Back then, I wanted to open my own brand. I always had that in, in mind. And the first uh, day, we had uh, the chance of uh, meeting the CEO of Dior. I don't know if you remember, he actually opened that, uh, that year program by presenting the house of Dior. And he was talking about how he made it through uh, Dior through retail and how retail was the key factor of success. And even if you are in charge of the whole brand worldwide, if you don't have enough understanding of what's happening in the store, you can't make it. So I had my answer the first day. I was like, okay, this is the brand that a guy is inspiring me through his drive. And he's telling me literally that if I want to make it and be able to make good decisions, you got to understand the world of retail. And that was it. So I took that as my... Uh, it was the first day, literally. And I remember I was like, I went home and I was shaking. I was like, this is it. Now I know what I need to do. And, and, and the drive started there, right? So I was, okay, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's focus on retail. And then I had the chance through the same school to be mentored by an, basically a previous, a former student. And we were supposed to meet every mentor at a certain cocktail. I was the first cocktail in October. It was on October, I think. And, uh, and I was looking for my mentor and I couldn't find him. And I got disappointed. I was like, I went to the, to the head of uh, uh, the program and I was like, where is my mentor? Everyone has his mentor, where is mine? And I was so disappointed. It's like, of course he's not gonna be here. I'm like, why? Like he's living in Las Vegas. He's in charge of the store. He's the store director in Las Vegas. And I was like, whoa, that's a sign. So the guy is literally in retail at Dior and he lives in the US. And I took it as a sign and I was like, okay, I got to meet that guy. We met through Skype. I told him, how did you do it? And how can I do it? And uh, it took me five years. I started as, as a training. Be, before we go a little bit further, I, I just wanted to kind of rewind a little bit because I know where we're going. So I just want to take the time to highlight a few, few, few things there. But uh, um, what I love about what, what you said uh, all along your story is you feel that Passion is one of the main drivers in, in, in your life. Uh, even the story you told at the, at the school about your, about your mom, uh, the, the fact that you chose to go to fashion instead of following maybe more a rational path with, with, with finance, the, the energy that you, you felt from the, from the CEO uh, of Dior uh, kind of make you think about like, okay, how can I fuel that passion, but in a rational way. So there is always that both that combination, in, uh, at least uh, in my understanding, that combination that passion leads you, but then there is that drive, that rational way of thinking, say, okay, what are the steps to do that? And how can I do that as fast as possible to but get where I want to go? I, I don't think you really pay attention to the speed, but it's much more about how focused you are. Let me just okay. light up the, the room so you have a better yeah. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's much more about how focused you are. That's okay. the price. So obviously, if you give 100% of your time, you know, dedicated to a certain goal, you got to hit it faster than others just because you're fully dedicated to it, right? Okay. Uh, it has their 
obviously good points and there's also those downsides which are you you kind of sacrifice a lot to be able to do that but uh but i i uh i'm i'm really really i would say proud of uh, of having that luck the drive that comes from from a superior force that gives me that you know dedication to no matter what's going on just keep following your passion and and obviously i always had a result in mind now it's changing a little more since i'm going a little older but the process i love the process it wasn't easy but i love the process and to answer just kind of jump on what you said i had the chance through ifm the french fashion institute to meet other ceos i had the, the opportunity to meet the head of chanel remember the head of uh, hermes but sydney had that energy and that drive that connected to him and that's why I was like this is the brand and i chose that brand because of that guy and i think that says a lot uh, we get inspired by energy and by uh, values and principles and i'm sure we're going to talk about it but but uh, that was also the main reason i believe that when you have something in mind and you just put it out there and you are aware enough aware of the signs that the universe or however you want to call it gives you you can go very very far and you can make anything happen yeah where, where that uh, maybe where that mindset come from because even when you were at school i remember you used to work uh, in an airport mm-hmm. uh, making money on the side um i remember that yeah all of, all of that ab- about you and um i wonder does it come from your family does it come from i don't know life challenges where, where the, the kind of where does it come from according to you it certainly comes from where from from my background i mean i didn't have uh even though i had loving parents i grew up with my mother and uh and i i had to work to to make a living So once I when I once I I had my high school diploma and I was 17 that was the first that I started working and the idea is to be able to uh to be independent and 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 really have a control of my life and also help help uh my mother which at that time my mother is really 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 young she she had my my brother when she was only 17 and she had me when I, she was 23 So if you can imagine when I was 15 she was 35 so it's my age and she already had three kids so so I think the passion and the the, the drive comes from from her uh she 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 basically sacrificed her youth to make sure we had the best education and she was investing on us I had the chance to have a personal teacher and she was paying that teacher to help me really understand the core values and those work ethic that you were talking about and i had that when i was 10 so it's it's all a process and she invested everything she sacrificed everything to make sure we are all we have all the tools to make it happen so we had that sense of responsibility pretty soon pretty early and i think that's uh, that's that was my drive until now until now 
Yeah, makes makes sense. But that sense of responsibility, autonomy, being uh, in charge of your life—that uh, that's something. Yeah, I, I really uh, see in everything that you ha you have done. So let's go back to where you we stopped earlier. So you you start talking to your mentor, and you start thinking, okay, how can I be in charge of my future life? So you were asking him, how can I basically do it too in in the US? So how that conversation goes and, and, and what happened next. Yeah, uh, so at that point, I understood that I wanted to work in retail. I wanted to be part of the house of Dior. And I had a chance to really understand how can I, I found a way to basically move to the US through a company. That was the, the most interesting information at that time. I was like, okay, so now, I can actually make it with a company. So I had that conversation with him. And I was like, okay, how's retail? And he's like, retail is the best. And he's a retailer, so he, he sold it so well. And then I was like, how's Dior? He's like, Dior, it's one of the best companies. It's, it's the excellence. It's the best school of retail. Okay, and how's the US? Like, I don't need to tell you. We already know how, how good is the US. So, so once I understood that, I was like, okay, now I don't want to wait until the end of my program, which was... 12 years, 12 month uh, uh, program, I was like, okay, I cannot wait a year to find out how retail is. So how can I make it now? How can I, st how can I start understanding the world of retail? And since I always work, I always worked in parallel of my uh, studies, it was like, okay, this is my mentor. He's the one who basically taught me everything in retail. And I'm going to put you in contact with him. Just, I'm going to introduce you to him do your interview and try to find a way to work only, even if it's only Saturdays, work. And that's how I met uh, the store director, which was in charge of the, the men's department at Avenue Montaigne back then. And he was one of the thinner in, a, in, a, in the luxury industry. He was, he's still actually one of the best uh, retail manager. And, and he has that passion and that ethic. And, and I worked with him, he gave me a hard time to hire me because he wanted to make sure that I own it, which was a wonderful lesson. And after three interviews, I was able to basically uh, start working at Dior every Saturdays and during the holidays. And, um, and I was doing that during my program. And in order to do that, I had to give up my job at the airport. So I was making 10 times more at the airport but it was for me a way to uh, basically I paid for, for my for my uh, for my practical training because I, I saw it as a training. I hated it for the first six months retail, and I think he made that in, on purpose because he didn't want to make it easy for me. And since I have always that pride that comes from from my DNA, I guess he wanted to test it out, and that helped me actually build up such a resilience that uh, then when I went back um, after my, my, my six month uh, contract as a seller, as a, as a sell associate, I was able to basically work as a trading manager, which is a, a program offered by Dior for those who basically has uh, a strong or a business uh, school, uh, uh, master degree or a certain level of 
uh, yeah, potential, yes, and somebody and, who has potential, yeah. And, and those who basically will be the, yeah, the future executives of the brand. And uh, since the French Passion Institute is part of that caliber, that's that that height uh, and that level of uh, academic uh, education, I was able to apply for that program and I was I was accepted. And do you have any anecdotes or do you remember anything that uh, happened during those six months that you say, yeah, I hated it, I had a hard time. What was, um, what was hard about it? What, what did you learn during those six months that you believe that made you the, the, the professional you are today? Uh, I think the interview was already so hard. The first okay. interview, when he, when, he, when he met me, he said, I remember he was like, okay, you, you were a young uh, student coming from the suburbs. Uh, why would I hire you to basically help the biggest clients of the world in this tour. Why would why would I hire you? And uh, and I, I was kind of shocked by that question uh, because he kind of told me based on who you are and from where you're from, why should I put you in that world? And I took that as a challenge. I'm like, I can't give you a, a an exact answer. Just because I'm not someone who talks, I'm someone who does. But just, give me, just give me six hours for the first Saturday, and you will quickly understand why you need me in your team. And that was that was he, he laughed at it. That's how he took it because. And I remember uh, the store was open from ten to seven p.m., and I was scheduled from eleven to seven because the first hour nothing happens. But every Saturday I was there at nine forty-five open at 10. So it was like, why are you here so early? I was like, because you're telling me that with, with eight hours, uh, in order for me to be the best, if, if, if I'm strategic, if I can have another hour of sale, I can be part of the top sellers. So here I am. I will learn an hour more than, when the, than the rest. And people were senior. Because you don't get to work in that environment in a flagship if you don't have enough experience. So for me, it was kind of okay. Let me prove you that I have the drive and I can be I, I, I can be part of that team. And uh, and I found out that the big big dogs, the big clients, comes ten in the morning on Saturday. So I was making already a big sale before everyone comes. So that was also another strategy. Not being fast, but it's being smart again. It's trying to. To, to learn and, and to show him that I was driven. Yeah. And uh, he loved me and he, uh, he, he still speaks very highly about me to, to, to his new uh, uh, team members saying, he always takes my example or my experience as an example. And what would you say are the, the key learnings that you, you got from those, uh, those six months and that you, you still uh, let's say use or you will uh, give to a younger person arriving to the to the retail world. Um, today we have. I remember we had that also in our in our in our, in our class. We usually when we do high level studies and we have a, a strong education. We bring, we come already with a certain ego. 
thinking that we are able to do anything because we have a strong uh, academic background. But I knew based on, on my story and, and my physique and from where I was coming from, I had to do more to prove that I can be part of it. At least that was my belief. Maybe now it's not the case anymore, but at that time, I probably had to prove to myself that I could be also part of that. So I put much pressure, but I already removed that ego. So I sacrificed a lot, but I also removed that ego. So for me, for anyone who wants to, who has a goal, who has a vision, who wants to get to a certain level, remove all that ego. And if you need to start in a certain position that is not what you were expecting, but it's a way, it's a door, it's a small, maybe a tiny, tiny, tiny hole, take it because that leads to the rest. And I remember the way for me to be able to accept all the, you know, these treatments, I think we said in French, when you're a new guy, when you're coming, we try to treat you a little tough to see how, how, how strong you are. And I think he did that to me, but I remember saying to myself, Every time that I was seeing my manager, I was like, dude, the only thing that we have, the only difference that we have between you and me is time. Because at your age, I'm even better than you. So that was my way for me to remove the ego. And I was like, okay, treat me the way you want. But at the end of the day, I was 24 back then. It was 45 already. I was like, in 20 years, I hope I have a better, a better situation. And after five years, I was basically same position that he has but in New York so it, it, it went well it went well yeah what I like about what you what, what you said about removing the the ego and really like uh, no matter what kind of studies you had any kind of uh, diplomas degrees at the end of the day when we start in a job we always have to come with that humility that it's almost starting from the the ground zero and we have to build up all the skills, all the experience, because as you said, the people who you work with, they might not have the academic degrees or they might have it, you don't know. But what you know for sure, they have more experience than you, in your case, 20 years. And if they are there in that position, you have a lot, a lot, a lot of things to learn from them. And so if you don't remove that ego and you think that you already know everything, you, you won't have that growth that you, you were talking about to help you find the ways to, to, to get where you want to go as fast. You don't have that focus that you were talking uh, earlier because you're thinking about, oh, he treat me that way. Oh, things should be that way. It's like, no, just do the work. Focus on the, 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 the task. Yeah, do the ground work. And from there, build your skills to, to go where you want to go. So... I think it's a really stronger advice for, for the, the new gen and for all the generations. And any, there is no like typical path to make it. Some people does it and make it easier and faster. Mm -hmm. and some, for some people it takes more time, but uh, there is no, sometimes it's, it's, it's better to take your time and, and get there within 20 years than doing it get there after three years and then just, you know, as fast as you went up, you can also go down. So there isn't any real uh, approach, but uh, the only thing is if you have a certain vision or a drive or a, a goal that is kind of 
making you alive, just keep doing it because that and love the process because nothing is granted. Yeah. So, so if you can make it, and if you are able to go through a journey that can lead you to that, you already won. Yeah. Just follow the trust the process. Yeah. And um, so talk... everybody says that, but believe me. I'm in, I'm in the middle of a new process, and I can tell you, I, tell, I say that to myself every, every goddamn morning. Just trust the process. <laughs> trust yeah. the process. Yeah, and talking about the, the process, so you, after the six months, you say you enter in the graduate program process. So Let me give you first a small story, because I'm sure you're aware of it. But, um, yeah, but, go uh, ahead, go ahead. I, I, when I was... Uh, as I said, associate, when I was still working at your, I, I was telling them, look, you know, at the end of my, my, uh, my program, I will need an internship or I can actually start right away working with you since I know the brand and I like the brand. I want to keep working as a, as a manager in training in that program because I already love that program and I, I, knew, I, I was aware about it. So I wanted to kind of basically apply internally for that program. But because my, uh, my, uh, I would say my, my youth and my lack of experience, I was right away saying, hey, I want to do that program and I wanted to do it in the U.S. I want to go to the U.S. I want to go to the U.S. And I was a, I was a self-associate part-time. And, and they, they wanted to, to give me a job with Dior. But because I, was, I couldn't stop telling them that I wanted to do that in the U.S. And it's two different companies, even if it's the same brand, going to the U.S. Uh, implies a lot of uh, a visa uh, program. It's, it's, you you got to bring something to, 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 the, to the region there. And at my level, they don't need me. So I, I didn't understand that. I thought because it's a big company and someone has showed that he, he can be good, they can believe in him and they're going to just put him out there. But they won't spend money on a junior on something when they can take someone who already is there and just manage him and help him to get there. So they, they really stood quiet and they didn't say anything. And at the end of six months, my manager came to me and I was like, Hey, I hope you found something because we're not gonna, you know, renew anything with you. And there is no opportunity to go to the US. He didn't tell me that, but he made me understand that it won't happen. So I had to find an internship to kind of also validate my program, right? So at that time, we had so many companies who basically we met in order to, our, to do our internship, and I wanted to do it in retail. So there is that department store called Printemps, which at that time, they were actually repositioning themselves very luxury. So they did a full strategy of scaling up, removing those uh, you know, first tier brands and really keep the luxury brands. So they were positioning themselves luxury. They wanted some managers as a, as a trainee managers as well, who can help those senior manager on their floor. So some of the, the, the people who were interested in retail got those, uh, those positions and me, because I was pretty sure that I was going to stay with Dior. I didn't really push to get there until the end. And when I, when I applied, they were like, okay, we can take you as a manager and you have a great uh, Dior experience as a retailer. So you, you're going to be great. But the only floor that we have when we need someone, it's the floor dedicated to a uh, cookware. 
and glasses and uh, and uh, and plates. And I was like, wait a minute. Uh, and they were like, yeah, we, we, we proposed that to your, to your class, but nobody wants it because it's not linked to fashion and you guys studied fashion. And I'm like, are you telling me that the only management role that I can have is to be someone who will be able to sell cookware? And she, they were like, yeah. But they were telling me it's a big floor. It's 85 people. So it's a, a true school of management. And maybe you should consider it. And I removed that ego. And I was like, yeah. First, I didn't have the, ch the choice because that was the last thing. But at the same time, I was like, if I want to be a manager, it, it doesn't matter which product. You got to deal with people. So, And if there's 85 people and there's only two managers and you, you, you will be in charge. And I wanted and, to... And how many people have you managed before 88 people? Um, nobody. That was so like, from zero to 88. 88 yeah. okay. and, uh, and obviously it's a lease department. So there is a lot of brands that they have their own sales associates, but we also had Printemps sales associate, which was 25 people. But what, what they didn't tell me, it's the house, the, the cookware and Arbre la Table, we say in French, uh, floor. They were actually putting all those very senior, senior, senior sales associates who are there for, it's been there forever. Some people were like almost at the edge of retiring and they were really difficult, very difficult. So that was, again, another story, but uh, that helped me a lot of how to manage. Because the first day I, I arrived there and I was like, hey, I'm Habib. I'm going to be here for six months as a, as a training manager. And one of the, uh, the sales associate, which was also the head of the... Uh, Syndicat uh, for, for Printemps, which is basically those who are representing the, the staff uh, socially for the company. And, and she came to me and she said, look, we had a lot of trainees who came to this floor that came with an attitude and we broke them. And we would not hesitate to break you if you don't understand that this is how it works here. And that was interesting because I felt like I was in a movie. And she literally said that. Like, you know, a lot of kids like you came and left right away and we won't hesitate. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is not what I'm looking for. I'm here to learn from you guys. Again, humility. And uh, how can I help? So I'm, I'm, I have a title of training manager, but I'm actually your associate guy. So tell me what I can do to make your life easier. That's what I want to do. And they adopted me. They love me. And that's how I actually learned. Uh, the first step of management, putting myself as a leader, which was basically coming with my suit, removing my suit and opening the boxes to bring the new merchandise on the, uh, on the floor and having them helping me out. Never asking them an order, but asking them for help all the time because they were seeing me doing it. They could help me. So I kind of always try to, to put that human uh, relationship before anything. And, and that helped me to understand management comes from, from relationships more than a, than a title, which I learned afterward even more when I was in the US. But, uh, but uh, that was my first uh, kind of school of management. So really like leading by example and not so much leading by the, the title of, of it, like really being part of it and uh, helping people, building those relationships. 
learning from them and not knowing, not especially that we, you know everything because of the, the degrees we were talking about. And um, okay, so that. And, and, it, it, and it's funny, I mean, there are people who needed, I mean, I was coming from the so I had a certain way of selling, which was way more elaborated than them, but I, I couldn't use that. They would, they would have, I mean, I can't bring, even I tried sometimes like, you know, you can say this way or that way. They don't care. What they care about is making sure that when they go to work after 45 years to still enjoy doing it. So I had to make them enjoy what they were doing by helping them as I would help my mother or my grandmother. And that's how I, I approached it. And funny enough, after six months, they wanted me to stay there as a permanent, which I obviously declined because you also know, you also need to know what you want. And I declined and then I went back to George saying, hey guys, I was a civil associate. You guys are wanting to do that training management program, but it couldn't happen. Now I had an experience as a manager. I know how it is. I want to go back and I want to come back as a small department manager. But I didn't talk about the U.S. because I understood within that six months that asking them to go to the U.S. was too much of a, a requirement and it wasn't possible. So I, I changed my way, my strategy. I was like, okay, I want to do the program here in Paris. So eventually when I learn and I become a manager or director, you guys can put me and you can just move me to any other region that will basically benefit from my uh, my, uh, my expertise and I speak Arabic and I speak English and I speak French so I'm open to go to China if you want I always had the US in mind but I didn't want to say that because I knew through also talking with my mentor that wasn't an easy move and that's why they accepted to basically hire me again as a training manager and that changed my life literally so again you put yourself at the service of the company instead of asking them something you say, okay, I'm here to help. How can I help? I'm going to learn from you. Even you have your, your game plan in, in the head, it didn't arrive coming to the conversation because yes. it was not the right moment. It's not the right moment. And I think uh, being strategic a little bit, it's important because sometimes it can scare people by giving right away uh, your, your requests or what you want, you know, because you need to meet, it's a law of the market. You need to meet, uh, demand. They are asking for young talent who can be in Paris and help the Paris, the Paris business. And if I come and like, hey guys, I'm talented, but just send me to the US. They don't need me. They're not, they're, they're not going to put their stuff on the line to send me out there. And then if I don't commit or I don't deliver, it's on them. I mean, they're not my parents to do that. And even your parents don't do that. So, <laughs> so you got to understand what are, the, what are the needs and how can I basically meet that need? And I understood that through my retail experience, through my uh, academic background and my management experience, I would be a good and a strong candidate for a training manager program. And so, and so how was the, the training program? How long does it last? What different position did you, did, did you do? Was it really different from the, the flagship? Yeah, first you, 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 you have another title and, and it feels good because then you can, put, you can start learning also how to... And I had a little bit of management, so I had the chance to really the opportunity to kind of learn to start with a small... As a trainee, you assist 
uh, a department manager or a director. It's a two years program. Again, because I was very focused, I made it in 18 months, a year and a half, but it's usually a two years program. But the interesting part is was I started as a trainee for a men's department at Gary Lafayette and the, the, the manager wasn't basically a previous trainee manager who got his her first she was she was a lady and she got her first permanent position as a manager officially after that program as a department manager for that uh, for men's and i was in charge of building the business uh, the suiting business and since i was coming from dior uh montaigne which was a big big uh it was the number one seller in suiting due to their clientele and due to their ecosystem a lot of uh uh, you know, businessmen, executives, they were all going to Montaigne for suiting. So the challenge was how to sell suits in a department store. So my job was to to, uh, to, to to help boost that category. And I was like, okay, I know how to sell a suit. And by, back then, it was many years ago, they were selling average one suit a day. That was their their numbers, one suit a day, which was for a department store. Okay, but that was their clientele. The clientele were more into sneakers and, and jeans and, and not really into suiting. So I was like, for me, in order for me to help boost the business at my level, since I was a trainee and I come from selling, I was like, if I sell, an extra suit on my own every time I'm there, or I help someone help selling a suit. So when I'm not there, they can sell, I will double the business, which I did. So basically I was like the first way again to put an impact is to, to put yourself in, into action and not teach people, but show them. So when people were trying to have a, a suit, since I was selling one every day and I was putting that, uh, really that goal in mind and I, I was very exigent with myself to make it happen. So when someone has a client who was kind of interested about a suit, they were right away asking me to be part of it. Like, hey, Habib, I have a client. Can you help me out? Can you assist me? So I was helping them closing that deal. So that's how, that was my first kind of impact. And then it kept going and I, I moved. After and 10 and what I love about what, what you say, it's also like the, the KPI that you use, you say, I'm going to help. And by helping, I'm going to double the, the turnover of that category, which is also another way to think is like, okay, I'm here to learn and help, but how can I help in a way that I'm going to have an impact on the business? Because at the end of the day, that's what the company wants. It's not some only helping to put boxes in the store, in storage, or, you know, being uh, nice with the team. Which you have to do it. Exactly, but you have to do it. But your trademark will be your impact into the business. Because if you don't bring any impact, then you become a support for. So if you want to be able to, to have an impact on your growth, on your business, I, you got to play with what you have. So what was the, 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 the rules at that time for me? What was the tool? It was myself. And by doing yeah. it, it brings a certain momentum. So people start understanding it's feasible. 
and it's not that scary. And those new trainee or uh, or just some intern interns were part of the teams or even more senior people were like, okay, I can count on Habib if I need to close a deal. And then they were doing them. They weren't doing it on themselves, on by their own, and and because they were doing it on their own and they were able to also close it, then they felt that pride and they were coming to me to say, hey, you know what? I was able to do it. So my leadership uh, skills start also growing and evolving because people were kind of excited to come and share their success with me. And that was a way then that my manager was seeing it and being like, okay, this guy, he has a drive. And I think when you have a drive, People will accept even your mistakes because it's through mistake that you learn. And I did a lot of management mistakes by sometimes trying to do it on my own when I could have helped. But at that at that time, I needed to also learn because it was always for the business and it was always in order to make uh, the numbers. They always they can go with it, they can accept it. And then little by little, I started being a little more subtle in my way of managing, my way of uh, sharing the message, the informations. And that's how uh, I was able to write. I don't know if you, I don't want to go into detail, but right after my, um, my that experience, I went to uh, Printemps again, but that time for Dior. And I was in the women's business, which is a much bigger business. And it was more about selling bags and and because there were no department manager in charge of that women's store, but directly the directors, which were in charge of all the concessions. So I kind of had, as a trainee, the, uh, the position of a department manager, which was the position of my, uh, my first boss, immense. So I had the same role, but not officially. It was unofficially, but I had yeah. a shoulder capable of doing that and because the director was always there it was the bulk of the business i learned a lot so sometimes by also taking bigger responsibility uh, sooner and because you really show the drive you really want to prove that you're trying to do your best i was working crazy i was there at eight in the morning till 8 p.m i'm talking about 12 hours sometimes when i was off i was going there even during my day off because i wanted to make sure the business was working the way it should be. And that's all those hours. You see, at the end, when you say you, you, you went very fast, yes and no. I, I put the same amount of hours, but I put them in a very short uh, frame. But I, I was working hard. So that's also, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a mix of luck because I was able to go to a certain boutique which was in need of a manager and that was perfect. And at the same time, it was a sort of the drive and, and, and the trust because they saw an impact. And all of that made me, through 18 months, one of the few, few very few training managers that after that program had the position of store director. I was assistant store director right after that program when usually you take a department and I was again same thing humility at that time one of the position was uh, opening was uh, assistant store director for the airports and I come from the airports so everything has also a meaning and 
it was Roissy Charles de Gaulle, and they needed someone who could be okay to basically lead a business that was open from six in the morning till midnight. And a lot of people from Dior are like, no, no, I'm not going to go outside Paris to, to work on, on those crazy hours. But for me, I saw the title, I saw the role, and I, has, I had the chance to right away after a program of 18 months, it's nothing, 18 months, it's, it's super quick, to be able to manage store managers. Because we had three stores and it was a mini network inside the airport. That was one of the most so, interesting. So, so if I have to, in 18 months, 20, 24 months, so you basically started uh, from a sales associate uh, at your at the flagship. Then you went to, yeah, to Printemps Léoual, then you come back to the Galerie Lafayette to become kind of the super sales trainee of the suit department when you double that, 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 uh, that department, that category. Then when a few months uh, at Printemps, another department store for the woman's side, when you became super fast the assistant or at least the store, the store manager of that, 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 that part for the women's. Yeah. And then you went to, uh, to the airports to lead, to be in charge of several stores, at least three stores with every time one with uh, one director in each of them and their staff, all of that in uh, less than 24 months. And, and uh, it was 27 people to manage. It was 27 people to manage. Same thing, they were opening a new flagship on a certain terminal and they wanted to make sure someone could help that. So help basically be profitable as fast as we could. That's business, you know, mm -hmm. you open a new store, you put a lot of investment on it. So you want to make sure someone can be there. So the store manager was in charge of there, needed support. So as a store director, I mean, as a deputy assistant store director, my first six months was just dedicated to that store. So my 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 director at that time was like, Habib, I'm in charge of everything. Your mission is to make sure that store gets to the level that they need. They need to, to hit the numbers. And I took all my experience from, from Montaigne to create a clienteling strategy, which was at the end, at that time, crazy. People didn't believe that clients could come back at the airport, but I figured that 20% of the clients were business class clients and premier class clients, and they travel every every week, sometimes every two weeks or every month. So the business, the big business, was made through those clients. So if we could kind of select those clients, understand their lifestyle, connect with them, and make sure wherever they travel, we hear for them, and make their life easier. We bring business, and that's how it so started. Finding the twenty percent that's going to bring the eighty percent of the the revenue. Yeah, sometimes ninety percent. Yeah, because when you have a Chinese a Chinese client who is uh, the head of uh, uh, I don't know a gas uh, company in China, and he comes to Europe for contracts, the wife still wants a Dior bag. So if you know that client and you know how you can make sure that when he goes back to his country, he doesn't need to stop at a shop. You just need to come, he travel wherever he wants in, the, in, in that airport. Even if we don't have a store physical in that terminal, I can send one of my sales with the bag, with the keypad and just do the payments there and just give him. Sometimes we were selling at the, at the door of the plane or in the... On the VIP rooms, those strategies were not 
uh, install. And because of my experience in the flagship store, we could kind of create a strategy based on clientele like they do in the flagship store. And that's how one of the you bring. Yeah, the, what, one of the things that when I hear you, that's always uh, strike me, it's your creativity to find solutions when others only see problems uh, or a huge challenge, you say, okay, how can I do that? And you, there is no limit to your, your, your creativity, just what you say, like, okay, let's go to the terminal, let's go there, when everybody will say, no, the, the client should be in the store to pay, you say, why is that? And you don't hesitate to kind of re-challenge everything to find that solution. That's pretty unique uh, skill. Does it come from any place, or did you learn that in the in the store? I guess I guess again, it's uh, with now such a you know when I take the whole experience back and I think about it, I think it comes from again where I come from in my childhood. When you don't get things easy and you gotta be creative to get what you need to find solutions. And, you know, in order for me to be able to go to just a business school, I had to work, you know, to pay that. And how can I, how I can be able to keep studying and working and helping. And so all of that comes from, again, uh, you always, when you want something, keep that in mind. When you want something, the first door that you're going to try to open will be closed. Always. And that's something that I learned very, very, very soon. It's not because you want something bad, that means you're going to get it. But it also means that it's not because the door is closed that you can't open it. Or you cannot choose another door. So, yeah. So, and if it's not the door, it's a window. If it's not the window, it's the the basement. If it's not the basement, it's the chimney. Whatever you have, a hole, it's like water. You want to follow, the, if you follow the water, they find the hole. You, you for sure find a hole. So it's the same principle that I had. Everything that I did was for me in order to go to the US. So flagship store, then department stores, then airport. And then I took the flight and I went to Amsterdam and Amsterdam I went to Miami. So it was all for the same drive and the same focus, which was this, this state, the United States. Yeah, and have, I like the illustration that you give. It's about water and water. It's really flexible, adaptable to whatever the environment is. So you, if you have to adapt, you, have, you adapt. So which, which door did you use to get to the, to the U.S.? So how, how did you arrive there and uh, how was, was your, your experience over there? It was a wall, it wasn't a door. It was a, it was a, a safe, a safe door with many, many codes and access and tricks. And, uh, but uh, when I was at the uh, airport, I was assistant store director. And I, every year you have a, an interview, kind of a, uh, an annual review with your manager about what you want to keep doing. And I was always putting the same thing. I want to go to Miami. I want to go to Miami. I want to go to Miami. Because I had my ex-girlfriend who used to be there by that time. So I wanted to be able to join her there. And, uh, and then, yeah, uh, after that, 
experience. I spent a year and a half at the airport. We grew the business for 40%. We had started inviting clients to the show because those clients now became, you know, loyal clients to our stores and we start bringing some exotics and high jewelry pieces and then men's and we created, we, we, we really had that entrepreneurial uh, mindset that we wanted to keep growing the business at the airport. And I believed in re uh, travel retail a lot at that time. And because of that, they saw in me that business mindset and they, they were opening a, a store in Amsterdam and they wanted me to be in charge of it. But this is where I was like, no, I can do it as a mission, but ultimately I want to go to the US and it's been five years and it's time. And I knew that at that time they were opening a store in Miami. That was the first flash store that they were opening in Miami. So I felt that was the right time. Because they're opening a store in Miami, I wanted to go to Miami. And if I don't try now to get there and see how I can show up, it would be complicated afterward. And if I take a position as a director in Europe, it's a five years role, I won't be able to move. So I'm gonna add another five years. It was a little tricky. And this is where I start. I kept asking to go for free, help the opening in Miami. And I know Dior used to love doing that, helping people to bring some, we call, we call it task force. We send some people from every region to help a new big, big project in other region so the teams can meet other regions and we can also bring best practices because we come from Paris, which is the headquarter. So I was like, hey, I just want to do a task force. I know you guys don't do it anymore with the US, but I just want to be there for free. And they kept saying, yes, yeah, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. I was able to connect with someone through LinkedIn who used to who used to be part of that team that were opening the Miami store. And I was like, hey, when is the exact opening? And he gave me the date and I took some days off a week and I, I pretended that I had, a, I had a wedding in Miami at that time. And I was like, hey, guys, by the way, I'll be there. With or without you, I'll be there. I have a, I have a wedding. If you guys want, I would love to spend one day there just to meet the team. And I would, you know how I'm passionate about Dior. And I remember one day before my departure, I, I give up. Nobody wanted to do it. I had kind of a, an unexpected visit from my general manager from came to the airport because he was traveling. Again, that's luck. Yes, it's part of it. And he came and he was like, okay, how's the business happening? And I was talking about my business. He's like, how's everything with you? Like, hey, I'm actually going to Miami tomorrow for a wedding. And I heard that there is uh, that opening the same week. And I would love to just see how it works. You know how my dream is to be to the US. I want to see if at least it's really something that I really want. I want to just want to go there to help and he was like you really want to do it huh? you, you you don't want to give up on that and I'm like, hey, it's not gonna cost anything i just want to try and, and meet the people maybe i'm gonna hate it maybe i'm gonna understand that it's not for me but if i don't see it how am i gonna know and he emailed right away the hr team there and the next day i was able to meet him, which i did and uh they loved me Obviously, I put the goal in myself. It was a women's store opening. I was like, I need to help them do a big sale. So whenever they have a big client, I'm going to help them sell the French Parisian dream and help them sell a big, big, big sale, which I did. The last day, I spent three days with them. The last day, I was able to sell a crocodile bike for $50,000. And 
the, the client was not expecting it and because I kept kept staying there with them and, and the team loved the fact that I was supporting them and that and I helped them open and then I was like hey guys I want to come just Paris doesn't want me to come but I want to be part of your team guys and then it happened so I, I, I said again to my when I came back to Paris that guys I really want to go and and I told them they have a position for me there and after a few back and forth uh, conversation they were able to, to kind of share my uh, resume and they were just waiting for me and that's how I I moved to the US. Yeah. It wasn't an easy Amazing story. So, again, the, the creativity, the drive, the focus, all of it is in, uh, encompassing that story. Yeah. And, uh, and one of the things that uh, I just wanted to highlight it's also the, um, the, the English part, because you have learned, you know, you were in Paris, then in the department store, then travel retail, and you see here, uh, at least in, in in France, you have to learn. You have that background, but you have to learn English. How, how was it to to be able to work in in the, in the US? Did you had to uh, learn also to get even better at that because it's not probably the same. I don't know if you remember, Lucas, that when we were at school, I didn't even speak a word in English. I didn't even speak a word. So I remember. It was an obstacle for me, and I knew that if I wanted to go work in the US, I had to find a way to get rid of that obstacle. So I took classes, bought a book, and I just started studying English on my own every day. And even went to, uh, to London for three weeks as a chef to cook salads and learn English. Again, <laughs> you gotta be, you gotta be so I did that for three weeks, met people in London, start talking to ladies, that helped because then you speak in English with them and you try to, and it's a broken English, broken English until you get more and more comfortable, then you travel and I was, anytime that I had some time off, I was going to the US or London to speak and later, quickly, I was able to have a conversation in French and sell in English. But when I arrived in Miami, one of my first clients was a friend that's like, you got to work on your English. I mean, it's, it's not going to help you if you keep talking that way. In France, maybe, but not here. Clients were okay because they're all international clients and sometimes talk even a, a crazier broken English than mine. But, uh, but at, this, at, at the same time, I knew if I wanted to, to be uh, inspiring and credible with my, with my team, I had to find the right. Uh, and yeah, it's just practicing. And I wasn't afraid to be there and look ridiculous until I was able to speak properly. And until now, I, take, I yeah. still take classes. All the reasons, but I still Amazing. Yeah. And uh, I see like in terms of timing, we are arriving kind of uh, at the end and I want to be respectful of your time. So what, uh, what, uh, what happened after Miami? So that was uh, New York? Or, or, or... I hated it. I hated Miami. So yeah, after five years, I cr going crazy to go to Miami. I hated Miami, just because I was coming from Paris with a certain uh, standards and very, very, very high standards. And Miami is too laid back, and people were like cutting out sick because the Friday starts at night, and and I freaked out, and it was too hot for me, and I was always with a suit, and I felt like okay, Miami wasn't the right uh, move. And I 
my girlfriend at that time, which used to live in Miami, had found a position in New York. And I was like, perfect. Don't come to Miami. Go straight to New York. Because she came back to Paris and then had to go back to, uh, to New York for visa situation. I was like, don't worry about me. I know it's been only 10 months that I'm in Miami, but I'm going to ask them. And luckily, the manager of the, of the, uh, the men's flagship on Fifth Avenue was moving to Barcelona with Dior. So they, look, they were looking for someone who could take over that position. And I was the perfect fit. <laughs> so it's, that's something that you can't control. It's just putting, again, your attention out there. It could have worked, it could have not. And, they, and I met the CEO, which basically was leaving his, the office was just above the, the flagship. On Fifth Avenue, he was like, I need you to be down here and do whatever you did in Avenue Montaigne. Here, we want to build business and suiting business. So whatever you learn from Paris, it's time to put it uh, in place. And same thing, I was there. They were losing almost, uh, they were down 60, no, 40% business. And, and it was a big, big numbers to kind of uh, recover. And I had six months to, to go back to at least flats compared to last year. And I had to rebuild a team, teach everyone how to sell a suit, which I did a couple of years before. And then, and I and I hired some some specialists, and we were able to uh, to become profitable, and I doubled the business within two years. But again, it's it's it, nothing happens, you see, overnight. But whatever you go through, at the end of the day, it helps, because that was my dream position. Why? Because my mentor, who used to be in Vegas when I was student, his last position in New York was that position. He was the head of Jormans uh, in Fifth Avenue. That was also something I texted him, hey, I made it happen. And he was proud and I was proud. And, well, it's, it's, it's a great story. And I think uh, I spent two, three years over there and I really loved it. And uh, yeah, uh, I, I, um, I met a lot of people. And I remember that was an interesting thing because I met, I met a lot of actors. I met a lot of uh, artists and... Uh, and when I was at the, um, the university, I was taking drama class. And that's how I was able to go to, uh, to French Fashion Institute. Because I remember when I was uh, doing the, um, when I was applying, they always wanted some student had good grades, but also have a cultural life. And I was like, if I want to be a complete student, like a, a role model student, I have to have uh, charity uh, actions and some cultural uh, stuff. So I was like, let's do drama. I love drama. That was one of my dreams back then. And uh, thanks to the drama class, I was able to get to the French Fashion Institute. We spoke about theater for the whole interview. And I had that in mind, but then because of business, I had to also prove and, and make a living. But I always wanted to move to the US when I was 15 for acting. And when I, when I arrived in the US, I kind of thought that I wanted to do acting a lot. And I, I was good in retail because I always took it as a stage. The first sentence that uh, my manager said when I was at Abu Montaigne, he said, Habib, whatever you do outside here, it's your life. And when you get to the floor, you're on stage. This is your uniform. You have a suit. This is how you talk. This is how you express yourself. You use a certain vocabulary. And this is how you have to have certain manners. We call it savoir vivre in French. Get the right attitude, the manners. It's not you. We don't. We don't care. This is how you represent the company, a brand, an imaginary. So this is what we expect you. And I love it because I was into a character for 
and I think I was good at it. And, and, and I always kept that in mind that when you're on stage, it's about performing. And I think I performed a lot and then I met a lot of actors in, in New York and one of one of the uh, actors that I met, which is Jodie Smith, she's a, she's a British actress who, uh, who moved to the US and she came, she was looking for a gift uh, in my store. And, and I remember my sales associate was struggling with her and I came to support him. I was like, hey, is everything okay? And he was like, yeah, she's looking for, for, for a gift. And I'm like, okay, who's the guy that you want to, just talking to tell me about the person that you want to offer so I can give you something can basically match his, his lifestyle. And she was like, I'm looking for a gift for Colin Farrell. And I was like, oh, okay. And, uh, and I know his style, so I gave him, I gave her a small scarf, which you can put on your wrist or you can put it on, a, on your neck. And it's a, it's a stylish one. And she loved the idea. She took it. And I was like, you know what? Actually, you're making me feel good because one of my dreams was to be an actor. And I always kind of hide it. They never wanted to accept because it's out of my reach. And, uh, and she was like, what are you talking about? You can do it. And I'm like, I'm 32. That was three years ago. I don't think it's still feasible. It's too late. And she said, I'm 36. And I started two years ago. So I didn't start later than you. And you're handsome. You want to do it. Just go for it. So I quit. And I guess when I went back to Paris, it was called. And boom. Yeah. <laughs> and after the whole, the whole process of making it happen to the U.S., I started taking some acting class in New York because of visa reason. I couldn't stay in the U.S. Plus the COVID happened. So I took it again as an opportunity instead of an obstacle. And I was like, if I have to go back to France, then why don't you just start a new school and start a new job, learn a new skill. So it's been now two years that I'm taking intensive class as an actor. I still give some uh, uh, consulting jobs to fashion brands to help them with their retail business as a side business. But my main, uh, my main goal now is to, uh, to go back to the US and as an actor. We oh, all yeah. go back to the 15 years old Aviv dream, yeah. uh, 20 yeah. years later, we always go back to, to that. That's why it's a, I wanted to have you in the, in the podcast because there is that huge journey to get what you want to all the, every, the growth, the learning that you have to, to, to go through to, at the end, go back to your original dream and, uh, and you still on, on it. So that's, that's why it's a. I love and that journey. It's an even crazier dream, honestly, uh, just because I'm not as good as I used to be when I was in retail. So I, I still have a lot to learn. But I guess it's because I was able to kind of fulfill one of my dreams that gives me still the drive. It's a lot of sacrifice. It's all the sacrifices that I'm doing today as a 35 young man. And, uh, and I think, yeah, I'm giving myself another five years like I did before giving myself five years to kind of see if I can, I can make it happen. And hopefully you'll see me for another podcast, but for another topic. That's why, that's why I wanted to say, I hope we're going to be able to do a part two series to, and, uh, and like that, you can tell us also uh, about what does it mean to be a kind of a, a, an actor and maybe the, what you say about the retail. I love what, where you were going about retail and the, and the stage and, um, 
and maybe talk a little bit more about like uh, for the young generation today what uh, you know what you have seen in them you have trained some of them uh, because some of them when you talk about retail they, they, they want to be product manager they want to be a stylist and yeah that's part of, uh, of fashion but it's also retail at the end of the day that's what you say it's the heart of uh, of the business so what would be the advice for for a young person wanting to work in fashion and uh, and they start looking at retail what what would you tell them say first for anyone who wants to uh, who wants to work in the luxury industry in general or even in, in a high-end fashion having a small experience in retail would help so even if you don't want to become a retailer you want to be in marketing do a six-month internship or just a six-month contract part-time like I did just to have that you know small box checked because it's, it's important to understand who is the client for those who wants to make it as a, as a higher level, as an executive, the fastest way and the most interesting way would be retail. Because retail, it's being, again, able in a very, very early stage and a very short-term period to bring an impact on business. So if you try something in retail, the first same day you can see the result. When you, have, when you work on a strategy in marketing, it takes 20, 20, sometimes 24 months to see if the strategy happened. So it's a good way to kind of test out, it's your lab, it's a lab. So retail, it's a good way to also learn your business, understand and, and kind of enhance your business mindset. Uh, those who yeah. usually enjoy being in retail are those who has that entrepreneurship mindset. It's not everyone who has that energy and uh, there is one sentence that I kind of kept in mind at my first training at Dior, it was a, a, a head of a zone who said, retail, in retail, energy is the name of the game. And I loved it because it's all about how much energy you're going to put in there. And because I had a lot of energy, it worked. But I don't think uh, it's for everyone. But I think everyone should at least experience it in order for them to also see. But uh, I saw more and more uh, people who comes from from the headquarter, from uh, product uh, or HR departments, or even marketing departments, and they want to come to to uh, to uh, to retail because it gives you a status in the luxury industry because you are able to basically, if you run a fifty or hundred million business, you're a CEO. Even if it's a store, you're managing a company. So it, 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 it takes courage and it takes a lot of uh, creativity to make sure you can have the shoulder for that because it's, it's, it's a big job. It's a big responsibility. The more you manage business volume, the higher your position and at least the, the importance of your role is critical. And I think retail can give you that. And if you like to travel, it's one of the best ways. It's true. So really great advice about like, yeah, you become the CEO of your, your store, your department, and you, you really see the impact every day. Every day it's a new day to kind of experiment, try, and, and see the, the, the results. So it's a, it's a really good uh, advice. So Abib, what can we wish for you in the, in the next future? Well, what do you, 
what would be something that you you hope to uh, to achieve um i guess good luck that would be that would be it because it it, it takes a lot of uh, a lot of luck uh to uh to get where i want to go uh, i think um what I learned from my experience as a retailer, it's uh, that everyday challenge, you gotta achieve every day a new challenge, kept me going. And I think when you are a good retailer, you can take any challenge, you can take over any challenge in your life. And the new one that I'm taking now and I'm going through it, I'm actually going with that retail strategy to make it happen. So how to be creative, how to find a way to get there and if i need to uh to sell cookware again i'll go to the airport to, to help other people to get to the plane i'll do it because there's a goal behind it and i think dreaming is important uh it's not about i, I had a very interesting conversation with a with a student who is 74 years old in my school he's the age of my father and 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 he he told me habib but i don't understand you, your life your life was kind of all set so why would you take all those risks to start a new job and I was like it's not because your position is all set that means your happiness is all set so you can always set up your life to be comfortable but if you're not happy why would you put all that effort just to be set and all that, no, I think, I think uh, you, 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 can, you deserve more than that. Uh, life is too short. So, so if, if, don't be afraid to try and try again and fail. And it will happen. Eventually, it happens. Trust the process. <laughs> yeah. So I think Denzel, that's the kind of the, yeah. I'm going to add one thing. Denzel Washington used to say, if you hang around long enough around the barbershop, sooner or later, you're, you're going to end up having a haircut. And I think a haircut. That's, that's, how I, that's how I processed my whole retail career. It's just stick around, stick around, stick around, and keep, keep asking until eventually it happens. I love it. So trust the process, stick around around your, your dream. Uh, keep the creativity and the and the drive, and uh, but keep an eye on what makes you happy and make you move, uh, even if you're comfortable. And don't hesitate to kind of take a get out of your comfort zone at any moment of your life. I think it's a it's a good way to summarize the your entire journey. And uh, we I wish you all the best luck and and the drive and the motivation and the and the process. Uh, on your new uh, endeavor. And I hope we're going to be able to do a, a part two uh, one day when you're going to be able to tell us a little bit more about like this uh, this new journey and what, uh, what it brings you. Merci, Lucas. Bientôt. Did I not say that you were in for a treat? I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as me. Personally, even though I knew most of the step of his career, I was still wondering how the hell is he going to pull that one off? The part that touched me the most, and you might not be able to sense it from listening, it's all the hard work on himself that Abib has done. 
I cannot imagine the doubts and the mental toughness needed to let go of one's career in order to fulfill one's true calling. All of that in the middle of a pandemic and with no guarantee that except his belief in himself and his skills. So what are the key learnings from this conversation? One, never give up. Find a way even when everything seems impossible. Talk to people, ask meetings, write email, make your case, and no matter what, keep pushing. Two, be ambitious and dream big. However, don't be arrogant and always lead the team by example. Learn from others, understand their needs, and see how you can bring them value. Three, define a career strategy. Aim for something and make a plan to achieve it. You learn more along the way, even if you are wrong, than doing nothing trying to come up with the perfect objective. A career is built by doing, not by planning. If you are still here, thank you so much for tuning in. I know how much your time is valuable. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. This is the most efficient way to help us grow and entice people to listen to the show. If you have any questions, comments or requests, please feel free to reach out on LinkedIn. In the next episode, I will receive Celia Nemasoa. It will be our first French episode. So if you are learning French and want to work in France, give it a try. If not, just stay with us. The episode after this one will be in English. Celia possesses the same kind of drum than Habib, but her aim is more focused on image production than retail. Celia is what we can call a hustler. She has done already so much for such a young age. So if you want to know how to go from hustler to image storyteller for one of the most legendary French fashion houses, stay tuned for our next episode. Until next time, I wish you a wonderful day.